temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Guidance is internal. Ignition sequence starts. Five, four, three... Two, one, zero, all engine running. Liftoff, we have a liftoff. Permission to board. Permission to come aboard. Permission to board. Permission to bring me aboard. Permission to come aboard. Welcome to the Permission Granted Podcast. Here's DA. All right, everybody, we are inside the most recent edition, the freshest edition of the Permission Granted Podcast, number 82. And it's a full wall-to-wall March Madness fill-out-the-brackets permission-granted podcast. How do you get this? Well, since it's the off-air show, the show within the show, the show about the show, it has its own iTunes feed these days because it's getting very popular. You can usually find it as well. You can always find it as well on the usual DA show iTunes feed and on our website, daoncbs.com, every week. But... Subscribe for free to its own iTunes feed. Just search Permission Granted, and you'll get it there. And maybe a little easier for you to sort and listen to. Moraz will join me coming up here in just a little bit. But first, a long-form deep dive into the brackets. I went to school, Syracuse, with a guy that was a year below me, a year younger than me, named Dave Friedman. Dave has become a tremendous play-by-play guy. He always wanted to do play-by-play, and he's become the voice of the Winthrop Eagles out of the Big South Conference. He's been there for years now, has become kind of a local legend there because of his enthusiasm, because of his delivery, because of his voice, and because of his knowledge. The guy just knows more about college basketball than anybody I know. And, you know, from from those that I know within the industry at the highest levels that are around the biggest teams, the biggest coaches from everywhere, everybody always tells me, Friedman knows more than anybody else I know. Friedman knows more than I do. Friedman knows more than this coach does. I mean, he's he's awesome. So we had to have him back on since last year we had him on for the first time, and it was very popular, and it was uh, it was a very, very fun listen, I thought. So for year two, the second annual Dave Friedman Bracketology Breakdown, and Dave joins me. Via clear, crystal clear Skype. How's everything going? How is your season in Winthrop? I know at, at, at their level, it's tournament or bust for the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, Pat Kelsey, the coach of Winthrop, has done a terrific job in four years. He's 20, 25 games over 500, and they're one of the leading scoring teams in the country. And, you know, it's a little bit like the Billy Bean thing. They've gotten the championship game the last three years, and they've lost all three years. But when, you, when you're when you in one of those one-bid leagues and it comes down to one game, there's a degree of randomness at that point. So let's start there because I think the most controversial exclusion from the tournament was Monmouth, who did not get an at-large bid because they came out of a one-bid league and didn't win it. Iona knocked them off. Now, Monmouth's uh, non-conference schedule was as good as any low major could possibly hope for. They won a couple of those games, and yet the tournament selection committee did not reward them. Were you bothered by that? Well, I, I think I told you last year, 
We're talking about 68 teams, and you could lob off the bottom dozen, and they probably, none of them deserve to be get in. That being said, yeah, I was bothered by it because teams are told, go play a really good schedule. And they went and they played a really good schedule, and they beat teams that are in the tournament, like Notre Dame and USC and Iona, and they, they beat UCLA, which at the time it seemed like was going to be a really good win. And yeah, I understand that they lost three games against teams that are considered at the bottom of the pack, but they played 19 of those. So they went 16 and three against the bottom 150 teams in the country. If you play 19 of those games, you're going to lose some of them unless, you know, you're elite. So yeah, I, I'm not sure where they really went wrong in terms of they had a great record. They went out and played a really good schedule. And if you watch them play, they certainly passed the eye test. I mean, they're being, they're being told that their conference is so bad, there's no margin for error. And if that's the case, then why even have a selection process? Because they had no choice chance going in. Right. To me, the problem is that Monmouth is in no man's land. And they're, they're in a complete no-win situation. If they schedule all these great teams outside of their conference and win them, it does it matter it's 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 only about winning their conference tournament then and now because they can beat those big teams they won't get them on the schedule so it's like why even bother if you're any of these low majors trying to schedule a solid non-conference schedule the big teams don't want to play it and even if you beat them it really doesn't matter it's only about your conference tournament yeah, I, I basically agree with that. And what it really does for athletic directors and administrators is it tells them we need to switch conferences. It adds to that instead of playing all your local schools that are your same size and are a good fit and it's affordable, you need to try to move up. It also should say to people that run conferences, we need to get the best team in our conference in the tournament. And if that means double buys and if that means, you know, moving teams that are the top seeds to play home games in the tournament, then they need to do things like that because you look at that conference and they should be represented by a Monmouth team that could win a game or two. And instead, they're represented by Iona, who who could win a game or two, but it's somewhat less likely. And, and then also on top of that is that they rewarded underachieving uh, football conference teams like our alma mater, Syracuse, like Michigan, uh, like Vanderbilt, they put Tulsa in. I mean, I'm sorry, but do I want to see Tulsa, Michigan, Syracuse, or or Vandy, or do I want to see Monmouth? And forget the bench mob. I would much rather see Monmouth because that to me is way more interesting than any of those other teams. Did you? Uh, what do you think about uh, the bigger conference teams that got in? Yeah, I more or less agree with you. I think Vanderbilt is really the perfect example. They were two and seven against the top fifty. So when you look at Monmouth and you say, yeah, you know, you had some good wins, but you had some really bad losses. Uh, Monmouth was one and one against the top 50 and three and four against the top 100. Their resume is better than Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt doesn't pass the eye test at all, but I thought the SEC was horrible this year. So I, I, I don't know. I understand the... Syracuse thing. They had a bunch of top 50 wins. They had the excuse with Bayheim. To a certain degree, I understand Michigan and Tulsa because they had some good wins. I thought Michigan at least showed that they belonged by winning that first tournament game. But yeah, by and large, I agree with you. I don't really want to see football playing schools that have 12 losses in the NCAA tournament. I'd prefer to see 
Monmouth and St. Mary's and schools along those lines. But again, that's kind of personal preference. So Syracuse gets in and they get a 10 seed as well. I thought there was no way they were going to get in after losing five of their final six and then uh, also being one and done to the ACC tournament. And not only did they get in, they're not part of the first four. What was more surprising, that Syracuse was in the field or that they weren't an 11 seed uh, trying to battle in for the first four? You see, my problem with Syracuse is, and it's the exact opposite with Michigan, it felt to me like Syracuse had a play-in game. They had a game with everything on the line against Pittsburgh, and they lost. Once you lose that game, I think kind of your argument goes out the window because you had a chance to earn your way into the tournament and failed to do so. That being said, they've got those five top 50 wins, and they've got the Bayheim excuse, and... You know, that that's the way she goes. I also like to reward teams that do well road neutral. And I understand that Syracuse's schedule was kind of difficult on the road. They played the best ACC teams on the road. But six and nine road neutral doesn't get me excited. Yeah, and, you know, people call Gottlieb a, a Syracuse hater. But I thought his analysis last night was spot on. It's, number one, if you're going to reward teams about how they play late, you, you can't ignore the fact that Syracuse played terribly late in the season. Also, uh, that, you know, they lost to St. John's midway through the year, and St. John's is one of the worst teams out of any uh, high major conference. I mean, so, yeah, they were 4-5 and five without Bayheim, and maybe you, you can take some of that out, but I don't know. I, 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 don't, I couldn't have rewarded Syracuse for the way that they played uh, at the end of the season, putting them in. I, I don't think they belong to the field of 68. Yeah, I tend to agree, but we don't have a choice about it. I mean, Monmouth lost to Army, Canisius, and Manhattan. I think the reason they lost to those teams is they played 19 games against those teams. Syracuse didn't play that many games against really, really bad teams, and St. John's is one of them, and they lost to St. John's. But the NCAA committee sees five top 50 wins, and against Monmouth, they only see two games against top 50 competition. Did you think, as we look at the number one seeds now, did you think Michigan State deserved a one? I thought they deserved a one over Virginia. Um, They may have deserved a one, but I think their bracket works out really nicely. If you look closely at the brackets, I think the fours and the fives are actually more difficult than the threes and the sixes. I think you want to be a two seed with the huge exception of the East region where I very, very much like the threes and the sixes. I I, I think Michigan State ends up in better shape than they would have if they had been a one. Because if they had been a one, I think they would have been a one out in the West. And while the West is really weak, I think there's more of an opportunity to get upset in the Sweet 16 than where they are, where I think they have a real clear path to the Elite Eight. Are you buying on Oregon being a number one seed? No. Um, I like the Pac-12. I watch a lot of Pac-12 games. They won the regular season by a game. They looked unbelievable in the conference tournament championship game, but then the semifinal, they went to overtime. I think the Pac-12 has a lot of really good teams. I don't think they have a great team. Let me tell you, the team that I like the best coming out of the Pac-12 is actually Utah. I, I, they got the experience from last year winning a couple of games. Chris Goviak, I think, is one of the best coaches in the nation at that level. Uh, I think they they battle-tested because the Pac-12 was very good this year. I'm not really sold on Oregon as a one, but I'm sold on Utah doing some damage in this thing. They're going to have to defend the three-pointer a lot better than they have most of the year if they're going to go a long way. Other than that, I agree. 
So I, I could see Utah obviously winning its first game, um, and then they get Seton Hall in the second round potentially, and, and look at how the Hall played in the Big East tournament. They were really good, but if they get by them, then they get Michigan State, um, and so I don't think they'll end up knocking off Michigan State. So the road's tough for them. What do you think about Seton Hall winning the Big East tournament? I thought they were tremendous. I've seen a lot of Seton Hall this year, and in the games I've watched, they've played really well. They're 6-3 and three against the top 50, and they defend well. They shoot the ball pretty well. They're fairly deep. I, I like Seton Hall, but they very much look like a team that played their best and were fully focused on the conference tournament, and I'm wondering if they're going to take a step back this week. Oh, all right. So interesting. You think they can get uh, knocked off by uh, the Zags in the first round? I don't think the Zags are the team you want to play. They're 15-3 and three road neutral this year. They won a lot of games against bad teams. The, the uh, WCC did not have one of their best years. It'll depend on the guard matchup. If Seton Hall pressures, I don't love Gonzaga's guards. But if it's a half-court game and Gonzaga's allowed to lob the ball into the post, their post players are really, really good. And I think if Gonzaga wins, that sets up a fascinating matchup with Utah because both teams' strength is in the pivot. So that Big East championship game felt like old-school Big East because you had two local fan bases in Villanova and Seton Hall from the old Big East days. Uh, the place was banged out, and it was vicious on the floor. You had really intense uh, kind of play, I think. It just felt like the old days, back and forth, big shot, big shot. And then for Seton Hall, I mean, I don't think people realize they start five sophomores. So if Isaiah Whitehead comes back, which I would assume he does, they're going to have five starting juniors next year. So this could kind of be the start of Seton Hall maybe building a little bit of something in the Big East, which Villanova, Xavier, um, you know, have kind of been the two best schools. But what do you think? Could Seton Hall maybe start becoming one of the better schools in the Big East? Yeah, Kevin Willard has done a good job. They won games against good teams. They won games on the road. They've got a nice core. I thought they were the team, though, that during the course of the year, I thought they looked really good early, and then they kind of hit a span where I was like, all right, maybe Seton Hall's not that great, and then they turned it up again late. So, you know, everyone hits those dog days of, of February or late January in the NCAA. Yeah, I mean, they were really impressive. No question about it. Uh, I'm thinking about a 5-12 upset in that region. That would be Purdue-Little Rock. I'm not huge on Purdue this season. Uh, do you think they're vulnerable on the 5-12? I like Purdue. I think they're really big and really tough. I love teams that rebound and play defense in the NCAA tournament, and that's exactly what they do. If they're going to lose, they're going to have to play against a team that turns them over. Purdue turns the ball over, and if you pressure them and if you get the ball, so be it. Now, Little Rock is interesting. They're 4-2 and two against the top 100 this year, 14-4 and four road neutral. They're a good team, but... I like Purdue. They, they're another team. They're kind of like Utah or Gonzaga. They're an old-school, big, tough team. Do you think it ends up being uh, Virginia-Michigan State yet again in the uh, Elite Eight? Yeah, I do. I think that bracket, you can go with upsets within the bracket, but I think it's real chalky top and bottom. Virginia is the best team in those eight group, and so is Michigan State in the bottom eight. I think those are the two best teams, and I don't think it's all that close. So let's look at North Carolina's bracket because 
I, you know, you were talking about how some of the fours and fives are really strong fours and fives this year. I thought Kentucky got screwed as a, as a four. They win, they, they win a tie of the regular season championship of the SEC. They win the SEC championship uh, tournament, uh, and they only get a four. I know the SEC wasn't very good this year, but I thought Kentucky deserved a three. If Duke is getting a four, you're telling me Kentucky deserves a four? That felt to me uh, unfair to the, to the Wildcats. I don't understand how Kentucky beat Texas A&M. Kentucky's a four and Texas A&M's a three. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, they lost, obviously, in the regular season at College Station. But right, I mean, does that just mean, and Calipari bickered about this last night, and I think he was right, does this just mean that the selection committee ignored what happened on Sunday in the SEC title game? Yeah, that's how it felt like to me. It feels like those mid-afternoon games, the day of selection Sunday, are too late to count. So uh, Kentucky is in um, North Carolina's bracket. And so let's start with Kentucky-Indiana. Let's assume, well, do we assume that or do you think Chattanooga can pull the upset over Indiana in the 5-12? Chattanooga's got a good resume. 5-2 and two against the top 100. They beat Dayton, but... I like Indiana. They play really hard. They do all of the little things well. They're not overly talented, though. I like Yogi Ferrell a great deal. But, yeah, I think they'll beat Chattanooga. I'm concerned about how they match up against Kentucky. I agree. Uh, I think they'll beat Chattanooga as well. I think we get Kentucky-Indiana. Everybody's been hankering for that. I do wonder. I mean, the selection committee says it doesn't pit any of these teams against one another with potential matchups and storylines. Not really buying it. I think that might be the reason Kentucky is the four to give them a potential four or five matchup against Indiana. But, you know, with the way Tyler Eulis is playing um, and, you know, some of the other pieces they have, uh, to me, Kentucky is a really dangerous four seed. And I think they end up beating the Hoosiers uh, in the round of 32. Your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. They have a lot of good players. They're very, very, very talented. The question with Kentucky is, I have no feel for how good they are. They weren't very good out of conference, but they're really, really young. So then they move into SEC play and they get better and better and better, but it's hard to gauge how good those teams are and how much better they're getting when their level of competition is so mediocre. And then yesterday against Texas A&M, they look good. They win the game. But I didn't like the way they won the game. I mean, on a key possession, you got Jamal Murray bouncing the ball 72 times, not looking for a teammate, and jacking up a 25-footer. It goes in, and they win the game. But I think if you play offense like that against good teams, you're going to lose. What do you think about a Kentucky-North Carolina matchup if Kentucky beats Indiana? I like North Carolina. If North Carolina defends like they did in the ACC tournament, they're going to win the national championship. The question is if they're going to get down in a stance and guard for four or five games. I don't think the first game will be a problem. I really don't think the second game is going to be a problem either. But come the second and third weekend, they're going to have to play defense very regularly. If they do that, I think they're really, really good. They have not played defense consistently the entire season. But they look to me to be the highest upside team in the whole bracket. So that's the East region that'll go through Philadelphia. And I'm not a huge Villanova guy this year. I got a lot of my Villanova peeps telling me that they're a different Villanova team this year. They're not going to be an early bounce out. But I will say, I think Nova got completely screwed. I know they got a two seed, 
But to not put them going through Philadelphia, I mean, that's that feels like a bit of a screw job. Um, and Xavier getting the two seed out of Philadelphia. What'd you think about uh, the selection committee not putting Nova going through Philly? It seemed to me that the complete opposite, where Kentucky did not get rewarded for winning, Villanova did get punished for losing in their conference tournament. It seemed to me that they were in line to be a one seed or be a two playing at home, but then losing in the conference tournament, losing the seed in Hall, that they got pushed backwards. Yeah, and so that leaves Xavier as the two in the East. I like Chris Mack teams. I like the Xavier team. They're always tough. But I didn't like how they kind of folded in the uh, in the semifinals of the Big East tourney. Um, you know, really, Seton Hall had dominated that game, and I was surprised that that Xavier kind of fell behind early, clawed back, but then you know, kind of at the end, couldn't keep up with uh, Seton Hall. It makes me wonder about the Big East in general, and it makes me wonder about Xavier in the tournament. I could see them getting picked off in that second round by Wisconsin. What do you think about the Musketeers? Yeah, I, I think they're fine. I think they're pretty good. I love that they won 12 road neutral games this year. They defend the three-point line and they rebound, and those are all really good things. Their scoring defense is kind of so-so. I think they have good players, maybe really good players, but I don't think they have great players. But lucky for them, look at their bracket. They're not playing a really talented team. I mean, Wisconsin and Pittsburgh are blue-collar, hard-playing teams. Those aren't incredibly talented teams. No, and then that brings us to if they match up against West Virginia. I don't have a feel on this. I know that West Virginia is a real fun team to watch, I know that they get after you. I know they create uh, a lot of uh, exciting plays. I just don't know if I think that that translates into the bracket into March. I think they'll win their first game against Stephen F. Austin. They probably get Notre Dame in the next round. I could see them beating Notre Dame because I don't think Notre Dame's that good. Um, and then they potentially get Xavier, which I don't think is unbeatable. So the road is nice for West Virginia. I just don't know if that translates into, uh, into the tournament. Do you? I love West Virginia, and I think their game against Stephen F. Austin is absolutely must-watch television. The two teams play the same way. They cause turnovers. They run up and down the court like maniacs. I think that will be just incredibly fun. Now, West Virginia's got better athletes. they got better players than Stephen F. Austin, but th- those teams will, will play a very entertaining game. I think West Virginia's better than Notre Dame. I think West Virginia's better than Xavier. I think West Virginia's really good. So can West Virginia give UNC a run if they get to the Elite Eight? Yes and no. I think West Virginia can play a very competitive game against them, but the things West Virginia does really well, forcing turnovers and disrupting you, is exactly what UNC does well to deal with. They're an incredibly good passing team, and they never turn the ball over. So as much as I like West Virginia, and I want to pick West Virginia to win the East, and I think they'll be in the Elite Eight, and I'm a big Bob Huggins guy, I think they don't match up particularly well against North Carolina. Okay, so this is interesting, Friedman. So we have now gone through two regions. You've get you've gotten you got a one and a two seed uh, in the Midwest and a one and a three seed in the East. So you feel like it's pretty chalky on that side of the bracket, outside of the storyline that this is going to be chaos in March. I do. 
Um, I think there can be upsets and maybe significant upsets within the brackets, but I think those four teams are probably the best four on that side of the bracket. Maybe Kentucky is as good as those teams or or somewhere kind of in the same range, but yeah, yeah, I think those four teams are, are pretty good. I certainly think Virginia and Michigan State tower over the teams in the Midwest. North Carolina certainly faces some challenges. West Virginia the same, but I think they're the best two in the East. So I think I'm going to take Kentucky over North Carolina uh, in the East, which would give us Kentucky, West Virginia, because I got West Virginia as well coming out of there. Um, And so that flips over to the South where we have Kansas as the one seed. You know, Kansas to me is the best team in the nation, deserving of the number one overall seed. But God, that UConn matchup in the second round is scary because UConn's now caught fire. What they do seemingly every March is find some March miracle. The, the triple overtime, quadruple overtime against Cincinnati was just ridiculous. And then they end up stomping all over uh, in, the, in, the, um, in the American championship game. I think that UConn has a real shot to make that a scary round of 32 game against a Kansas squad that has had early exits. Do you think that's going to be a solid game? Well, I, I think... I think Kansas was done no favors. I, I think they've got a really, really hard road. They very well may be the best team in the country, like you mentioned. They may be and probably are the best team in that region. But yeah, whether it's UConn or Colorado, Maryland or Cal, and then whoever comes out of the bottom, they're going to be tested right from the get-go. I'm concerned about UConn in the same way that I'm concerned about Seton Hall. Did they play their best in the conference tournament, and how much do they have left at this point? But yeah, I mean, the way UConn plays, they're going to bang, and they're going to be tough, and it's going to be a hard-knocking sort of game. And if they can bog down Kansas, it'll be close late. And I don't know if I really trust Bill Self in terms of uh, NCAA tournament adjustments and in-game. I think he's an incredible regular season coach. He's a very good Big 12 tournament coach as well. March Madison will love him. And you got to say that Kevin Ollie seems like he's one of the best in-game strategist guys uh, that you have. And then you mentioned Maryland. I, I have no idea about Maryland. I actually went down to College Park. I watched them play against Wisconsin. They were the number two team of the country, and they laid the biggest egg. I've watched them a number of times. They have some awful shot selection. They feel like they think they're better than they are. And to fall to a five seed kind of suggests that the Terps underachieved certainly the second half of the season. They could catch fire in the tournament, and it wouldn't surprise me because they're so talented. Or they could be the 5-12 upset in the first round because they just think they're better than they are. Who, in your mind, what what side of the Terps do you think we get in uh, in the tournament? Well, let's go back to Kansas for a second. I agreed with what you say about Bill Self, but I love the fact that they're a veteran team. And, and when you've got guys that have been through the w- wars, sometimes you don't lose that game that you think you're going to lose. And sometimes you're, you're tough at the end of games when a younger team might run into a problem. With Maryland... It feels like the team goes where Mello Trimble takes him. And I've been a really, really big fan of Mello Trimble, who quite frankly hasn't been very good for the last six, seven weeks. That being said, and he didn't shoot great, I thought Maryland looked pretty good in the Big Ten tournament. I understand that they lost a close game to a really good team, but if they play the way they did in the Big Ten tournament, 
I think they're going to be fine, and, and they're good. I mean, really good. The problem is they potentially play Cal, another team I really like in the second round. We talked before about Stephen F. Austin and West Virginia being must-watch in the first round. Maryland and Cal is must-watch in the second round. Totally agree. It's probably the best. Maybe it's Kentucky, Indiana, but it's Maryland and Cal right there, the best uh, round of 32 game. I love Cal. I know they're young, uh, and I know that you never know with freshmen that have their eyes set of the NBA. But, God, there might not be a more talented team than Cal on that side of the bracket, maybe in all of the tournament. And if Cal plays up to its potential, I think Cal can come out of the South region. Yeah, they can. Remember, they didn't win a conference road game until February, and then I think they were unbeaten, or maybe they lost one time in February. We've seen Quanzo Martin take teams on a run before, and like you said, the the talent, Brown and Rab are tremendous. Matthews and Wallace and Bird have all had good years. Um They're good. They're really, really, really talented. I think the winner of Maryland and Cal gives Kansas a great game. Totally agree. Uh, The bottom side of the South region is Villanova at the two, Miami at the three. I'm not real sold on Miami. I know that, uh, you know, they, they played very well in a decent ACC this year. And I don't know if I love anybody in their second-round matchup. I I don't like Vandy. I don't really like Arizona. I think Wichita State could be a scary matchup for Miami in that second round. But uh, do you think Nova has trouble getting out of the bottom half of that bracket? I think that that matchup against Temple in the second round, in-city matchup, might be a real dangerous step for the Wildcats. Yeah, it could be. I really like whoever comes out of that Arizona-Wichita State-Vanderbilt game. I I think Wichita State and Arizona are both very, very uh, scary and very talented, very well-coached teams. Wichita State might have the best guard tandem in the country, and I think they were number one in the nation this year in defense. So I, I think they're very possible And Arizona is talented. I mean, we talked about the Pac-12 not having a great team, but having a lot of good teams. That's Arizona. They're a really good team. I think that the two opportunities for a one seed to go down to the first weekend, Kansas to UConn, and then, uh, well, or two seeded, and Nova and Temple. I think both of those ones or twos could get tipped off, could get knocked out in the first weekend because of those matchups. I I think that Temple matchup for Villanova is terrible for, for Villanova. Yeah, and Fran Dunphy can really coach, and he has been able to for a long time. He took Penn to all those tournaments. Now he's in the tournament every year with Temple. They're they're good. They don't turn the ball over. They play defense at the three-point line. They're not a great offensive team, but, yeah, I mean, it's that classic in-city rivalry, Temple and Villanova. It's a possibility, no question. Uh, So do do you like Cal or Kansas, then, coming out of the South? I really think it's a pick'em game, and I think Maryland and Cal is a pick'em too. If we were a game theory person, we'd take Kansas because I think they have one fewer really difficult game. But if the winner of Maryland and Cal beat Kansas, it wouldn't surprise me. I think Kansas has the easier road, but it wouldn't surprise me if Maryland or Cal was there. 
West region now. Your one seed, as we talked about before, is Oregon. Two seed is Oklahoma. Everybody loves Buddy Heald, but does the Sooners, do the Sooners have enough outside of Heald, do you think, to make a Final Four? Damon, this is the worst region I've ever seen. <laughs> I, I don't get it. I think they have a bad one. I think they have a bad two. I think they have a bad three. Uh, th- this is an atrocious region. I've been following this pretty closely for 20, 25 years. This is the worst region I've ever seen. I don't like anybody. If you told me Yale was coming out of this or Green Bay or Oregon State or Virginia Commonwealth, okay. I, I think you can pick anyone out of this region and not be ridiculous. Well, it's a great point. I don't like their one in Oregon. I don't love their two in Oklahoma. I don't like their three in AM. I don't like their four in Duke. Let's see. Their five is Baylor. Their six, uh, their six is Texas. Texas. I don't like Texas. The seven is Oregon State. I mean, yeah, I, I kind of feel like Baylor might have a shot to come out of this region. This is a joke. There are no good teams in this region. They put all the good teams in three regions and no good teams in this region. <laughs> why, why do you think Duke got a four? Duke could barely stay ranked this year. I think Duke's coming out of this region. Yeah? Yeah. Holy cow, why? Because no one else is any good. They've got two incredible players. They have a, a top five pick in the draft. They have the guy that probably should have been the most outstanding player of the Final Four last year. And the dude on the sidelines pretty good. Do you, so do you think they cleared that region for Duke to come out of it? I don't know. It's the second straight year that I think Duke is the best draw in the entire tournament. So you know what's funny is that CBS and Turner now pay ex- exorbitant amounts for this tournament. And you can't tell me that the selection committee doesn't want interest in these matchups. And so they'll say, well, with good games and good competition and close games, you know, w- the ratings will be there. But there's got to be such a pressure on the selection committee to create interesting tournaments that I kind of feel like they do. Uh, they do puppet puppeteer a bunch of this stuff. And that clearing the deck for Duke wouldn't shock me at all if they want to do that. Because I'm with you, this region is garbage. It's garbage. It's terrible. It's atrocious. There's, there's no justification for this. I mean, you could just start and say, well, what if we traded this team in the East or this team in the South, this team in the Midwest? If Maryland or Cal were in the West, I'd be picking them to go to the Final Four. Yeah, you could do that with a bunch of teams. Like, we were talking about Kentucky before. Yep. Kentucky's going to have to be a four. Yep. That goes through Indiana, North Carolina, West Virginia, or Xavier. Yep. If you had Kentucky as the four in the West, you'd you'd streamline you'd you'd redline them right into the final four. Exactly. That and, and that's why you have to you have to find someone in this region that you're comfortable with. You have to say, all right, he, here's here's a reason that I like a team. Because you can say negative things about every single team in the field. Duke, I'm looking at it. Mike Krzyzewski, Grayson Allen, Brandon Ingram. I don't see a better argument for anyone else in that group. What's uh, your take on A&M? I know we touched on this, them being a three and the SEC being bad this year. Do you think that they can come out of that side of the bracket? They could. I mean, that side of the, uh, you know, that side of the region, rather. Yeah, I think anybody can come out of there. I mean, if you look at the bracket that I'm sitting here looking at, the team I probably feel the best about in the bottom eight there is VCU, but by an extraordinarily small margin. Have you ever been uh, at a game where the VCU band plays the Peppas? 
Yeah, they're awesome. I have to say they're they're my favorite band in America, and they're one of like my favorite musical acts I think I've ever seen live. They're absolutely intense. They work their ass off. I had to videotape them. I had to record them at the A10 tournament yesterday. Every year when I go to the A10 and they're there, they're absolutely stupendous. Yeah, going to a game at the Seagull Center is one of those experiences that no one talks about. It's a relatively new arena. It's in Richmond, Virginia. But they sell out every game, and it is a great time. What did uh, you think about a two-hour Selection Sunday show last night? Um, exactly what everyone else did. <laughs> too, uh, too elongated. They soaked it uh, too long. Yeah, I mean, I understand the business, though. You know, you spend a billion dollars on the NCAA tournament, and you're going to get the ratings you want, and, you know, it's a captive audience, and they're going to continue watching. Like, I can't say I blame CBS. I just didn't enjoy the experience. I don't blame them either, but I would have restructured it this way. I would have gotten the brackets out all in the first hour again and then just made the second hour the best coverage analysis, insider-type stuff with coaches possible. I think... The most interesting thing of the tournament is obviously the reveal, but then it's bickering about where everybody got seated and who got left out. And then you just use that second hour for all of the conspiracy theories and bickering and coaches feeling uh, screwed over and whatnot. You know, to extend, I think it, I think Richard Deitch said it took uh, like 77 minutes to get through three regions or something like that. I mean, you can't have that. Yeah, it, it took forever. The problem is the person that probably is the best authority on college basketball is Jay Billis. And if you get the brackets out in 35 minutes, at that point, I'm probably going to switch and try to find Jay Billis. What'd you think about using, or now this is like, I think the fourth year they've done this, or maybe the fifth or sixth. What do you think about going with Barkley, Ernie Johnson, and Kenny Smith, the TNT NBA crew to break down uh, the brackets? I would have rather seen them break down the uh, Spurs and Warriors. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I love them on the NBA, but, you know, when Charles is trying to, you know, give me uh, you know, Seton Hall uh, Gonzaga breakdown, I'm like, I- I- do I need this? I'm not listening to this. What well, is part two of the podcast going to be you and I talking about the stock market? Because that's what it'll sound like. <laughs> I said, uh, you know, Barkley breaking down one of the regions is like me doing an NHL playoff preview. I mean, that's, yeah. but I mean, I might even know more. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think tomorrow you and I are going to record our uh, women's NCAA tournament <laughs> podcast. And it's going to be a lot of generalities. Do you have anybody that you absolutely love winning a national championship in this? No, it's a year where if you have someone you absolutely love, you haven't been paying a whole lot of attention. I mean, there are no great teams. If North Carolina gets down and guards like they did in the ACC tournament, they're the best team, but they certainly don't have the easiest road. Virginia and Michigan State are probably going to be sitting there playing in the Elite Eight and be three games away from a national championship. Those teams are very, very, very plausible. You want an upset? We talked about it. Maryland, Cal, West Virginia, Duke, all those teams have paths in which they could do it. But no, I don't have anyone I love. Do you? No, no, I don't ever. I mean, I kind of love Michigan State, but they'd have to get past uh, Utah and Virginia, who I think are very good teams. Kind of like, I would say Michigan State. Uh, And I I would like Kansas, except for their history of bowing out early and uh, the stack deck against them in that region. 
In order to really, really like Kansas, I think you have to think that the Big 12 was a lot better than everyone else. And I did think the Big 12 was really good, but were they that much better than everybody else? I mean, Kansas dominated. No, it didn't dominate. Kansas won a good or a very good league, but I'm not sure that makes them a a sure-shot national champion. Agreed. Yep, agreed. Uh, Dave Friedman is the voice of the Winthrop Eagles, and uh, you can follow him on Twitter, which I'm sure you're just going to be having scorching hot takes throughout March, right, on Twitter? That's the idea. I mean, we love hot takes, right? We love them. How could we not? I mean, that's what we're (laughs) built for. (laughs) Uh, And that's at Friedman underscore Dave. And uh, you can check out his website as well, uh, that's FriedmanDave.com. He's all over college hoops. He's, uh, He's a maestro. He's a master. It's always good to catch up with you, Friedman. It's great to talk with you, DA. All right, thanks to Dave Friedman for joining us to break down the brackets. And Mraz joins me now. He is fighting a nasty cough these days. I thought you were over this. I'm not over this, apparently. I, uh, I've had about what feels like kennel cough all weekend. What's kennel cough? Uh, that's something dogs get where they can't. Uh, one dog starts coughing, they all start coughing. I see. It sounds like that's like a, it's like a hard bark of a cough. Judging from your diet, I wouldn't doubt that maybe you had something called kennel cough. That's fair. Something that a dog might have. Ironically, the cough is tied into my diet. On Monday today, um, this was the first Monday since definitely before football season, I woke up and didn't gain at least five pounds from the weekend. Oh, that's a good win. Uh, yeah, I, I've had no appetite at all. Because of the kennel cough? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I guess because I've been slightly under the weather, but the cough more so than the back of my throat's been scratchy hurting. I just... I haven't had the uh, the love affair for food that I've had in past weekends. Okay, well, you know what? Whatever gets you down to, to below 260, that's a win. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. And I am at that today, which is nice. Did you watch the selection show last night and have Twitter on as well? I had Twitter on. I watched the selection show on DVR later on, so I'd already seen the leak bracket before I was at a family party last night. Okay, so it didn't sap any of the drama for you because you weren't following along with the selection show. No, and as a CBS employee, I probably should admit this. I liked it because it was easy for me to just quick click and look at the bracket while I was at a family party. Yeah, I had both up. I was watching the selection show, and I had the Twitter up, and when the, uh, when the leak bracket started making the rounds, I didn't have a problem with it. I mean, I felt like if the information is out there, then people just deserve it as quickly as you get it. I mean, especially since it's not something of national security. Yeah, I looked at it kind of similar to how we watch the NFL draft and how many times you see Schefter or any of these other people reporting a pick two minutes before we see it come across our screen when watching the draft. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it kind of felt like. It's almost like to be expected now. And... You know, CBS tried to win the night with a two-hour selection show, and it came back to bite them. I mean, if they, I think, yeah. the, I think the bracket leaked about one hour in. Had it been the traditional one hour, they would have been fine. And I, and I think that CBS really should have released the brackets over the first hour of the show, and then the second hour just make it great analysis. And you have the best analyst. I love Doug, and I love Clark Kellogg, and I love Seth Davis. Seth, yeah. They should have just had those guys ban bandying back and forth for the second hour. Right, because once the bracket's released, it's not like you have a game right to get to. We're not getting into the first four until Tuesday night. So you're going to look, you want some digestion, especially, forget the diehard college hoops fan that's going to watch. How about the casual fan that's looking to fill out their bracket at their office or whatever? They're dying for those guys to say something. I think there's nothing wrong with releasing the whole thing in the first hour and spending that full second hour breaking it all down. Yeah, I, you know, I also didn't think that 
shoehorning Barkley and Kenny and Ernie into that made any sense because those guys are NBA guys. They obviously haven't been watching a lot of college basketball this season. I don't blame them. That's not their full-time job. You know, they're just kind of asked to do college basketball in March. And, you know, last night, I think instead of having the the name recognition of Kenny, Chuck, and Ernie, right. have the college basketball crew from the CBS Sports Network. Have Zucker in there. Have Lapis in there. Have all of the guys, Al Abdel Nabi, all of our friends, Dana Jacobson, everybody that right. works on college basketball all year, John Rothstein. Rothstein. All those people work on college basketball all season. Have them as the second the second team. I totally agree with that. And and the other thing with Barkley and, and Ernie, as you said, those guys at least can break down a basketball game, right? So when it comes time to play March Madness in the tournament, a lot of people complain that they're there, they're, they've parachuted in. But at least when they're there kind of bringing you in and out of games, post-game, halftime, they can analyze a basketball game in itself. Good point. So that's the nuts and bolts of it. What they really can't analyze is teams being on the or teams being in and out of a tournament or brackets of games they haven't watched all year, and not to their own fault, but they're on NBA sets while these games are going on, breaking down NBA games. So right. that's fine if you want to do a little cross-network promotion, which I don't think is the worst thing in the world, and have those guys break down games within the tournament itself. You can't have them breaking into the brackets when they know nothing about them. Yeah, and Turner would do itself uh, a service by developing its own college basketball people. Right. Instead of having Ernie and Kenny and Chuck be their college basketball guys, there's plenty of former athletes that would love to be the Turner guy, the former college basketball athletes. Pluck a few from CBS Sports or pluck a few from NBC or pluck a few from other places. Right. How about do a game a week on True TV? Right. Yeah, even if it's a Patriot League game, even right. if it's a Mountain right. West game. No, exactly. You don't have to put Duke, North Carolina up. But I, I think that's twofold, too. And I say True TV because no matter how many years in a row we're doing this with True TV, we're all, you know that's coming this week. How I do have, I find True TV on my uh, on my sa- satellite? Nobody watch, knows the channel. I watch True TV twice a year. It's for the two games on the first day of the tournament. <laughs> right, right. So that's what I'm saying. So that I think that's twofold. You develop your own talent, and you get people to know where the heck the channel is if they're into it in the college basketball. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That that just didn't fit last night. But, um, yeah, I didn't have a huge problem with the leaked bracket. I, I wonder, do you think we'll find out how it got leaked? <laughs> you know, it's pretty funny reading everything on the Internet and how it's like CBS is doing their due diligence to find out just who leaked this. Like, okay, so if we do find out who's leaked, are you going to let the public know who leaked it, number one? Number two, what happens? Are you going to tar and feather them? You're going to hang them? <laughs> like, I, like, like, I don't understand. Like, and what, what happens if it was like an Allah Abdel Nabi or something like that? Like, you're going to fire him? Like, I don't, I don't. Like, what's the end game here? You know? And how? Many- I think, I think once the games tip Thursday, everybody's going to forget the bracket was leaked, and CBS can kind of just let this thing go away. Well, I would also say that how will you ever track it down? Because there's a million ways to leak this at this point. If it touches the hands of let's say, 10 people, production people, directors, uh, Greg Gumbel, whatever. And then it touches, you know, three analysts' hands, and it has to be sent out to graphics, right? Because graphics has to put up the graphics. I assume it lived in an email somewhere, right? It it has to get to graphics somehow and a producer because it has – those graphics have to be built when they they unveil it. 100%. So let's just say a total of 20 people, including the truck people or whatever, have it. All somebody has to do is snap a shot of their phone of it and then send it. Exactly. They, it, it, it With no be, tie to them whatsoever. It, it doesn't have to be their Twitter address. It just, they snap a shot of it, they email it to one other person or text it to one other person, and then the other person just transcribes it and puts it on Twitter or whatever. So 
what are you going to do? I mean, you're going to check everybody's cell phone? It's just like any any new, their, their new text picture records? that gets leaked. Once something's up in the cloud, that's a gamble, and, and you took the gamble and it failed. That's it. You know what I mean? Life's a gamble when it comes to stuff like that. The cloud. The cloud. It's the, all about the cloud. The cloud is dangerous. That bracket was up in the cloud, and it dropped down. But as you said... Cut it down to one hour, reveal it, and then do the one hour breakdown. That is your Permission Granted Podcast number 82. It's Bracketology. Enjoy March Madness. We will see you on the DA Show. And, of course, this is CBS Sports Radio, and this is the Permission Granted Podcast. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.